Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we dive into the inspiring story of Bowerman and the Men of Oregon. Written by Kenny Moore, a former Olympic athlete turned journalist, this book captures the perseverance, innovation, and indomitable spirit of legendary track and field coach Bill Bowerman. Throughout his career, Bowerman dedicated himself to training athletes in his native Oregon, fueling their passion for running and contributing to the establishment of one of the world's most iconic sportswear brands, Nike. His unconventional training methods not only pushed athletes to reach their utmost potential, but also inspired an entire community to fall in love with the sport. Moore, having experienced Bowerman's coaching firsthand, is the perfect author to bring this story to life. After representing the United States in the marathon at the 1968 and 1972 Olympics, Moore turned to journalism, spending 25 years with Sports Illustrated. His intimate knowledge of Bowerman's character and methodology adds authenticity and depth to this compelling biography. Bowerman and the Men of Oregon is a must-read for track and field enthusiasts, followers of the American Olympic movement, and anyone curious about the history of sportswear brands, particularly Nike. So join us as we delve into the fascinating tale of Bill Bowerman's unwavering dedication to athlete development and the inspiring legacy he left behind. Bowerman and the Men of Oregon, the story of Oregon's legendary coach and Nike's co-founder. Introduction, what's on offer? Step into the captivating universe of an influential coach and visionary. The tales of Bill Bowerman could adequately fill multiple existences, yet this extraordinary individual lived them all in a singular lifespan. In this summary of Bowerman and the Men of Oregon by Kenny Moore, we venture into the life of Bowerman, exploring his roots, groundbreaking coaching techniques, and his intense commitment to athletics, which forged a fresh lineage of supreme sportsmen. He set in motion a profound revolution that touched billions globally through Nike, a firm he helped originate, and the jogging culture this company actively fosters. Part 1. The Tale of the Stubborn Mule Whenever the track and field team of the University of Oregon showed up for the yearly inaugural banquet at the residence of the formidable and respected Bill Bowerman, Newcomers in the team always awaited a profound speech that would serve as a life compass. Without fail, they were presented with Bowerman's staple parable. Imagine a willful mule that flat out refuses to eat or drink. The owner reaches out to a mule skinner for assistance. Upon arrival, the skinner fetches a two-by-four wooden beam and floors the mule with a brutal blow between the ears. Then he strikes again between the eyes. In response to the owner's outcry, the Skinner sets out his essential philosophy. The initial key step to acceptable behavior is to capture the mule's attention. This was a principle that Bill Bowerman understood too well. Growing up in Fossil, Oregon, he was a rebellious runaway who despised authority, opted to sleep outdoors, and fought with a seemingly death wish. This defiant attitude intensified after his parents, former Oregon Governor Jay Bowerman and educator Lizzie Hoover, divorced. Young Bill also grappled with the trauma of witnessing his twin brother lose his life in a bizarre elevator accident. Believing their mother incapable of managing Bill, 
his sibling Dan arranged for the then 14-year-old Bill to meet Ursel Hedrick, the Medford school superintendent and a certified mule skinner. Hedrick unleashed every curse word he knew on Bill, informing the lad about his dishonorable conduct towards his mother. Bill Bowerman exited that office a transformed youngster, redirecting his accumulated energy into a discipline that would boost his academic performance and elevate his sportsmanship. Emerging as a coach and a genuine mule skinner himself, Bill Bowerman ensured every squad of athletes understood they were to follow his instructions or face the repercussions. Part 2. The Birth of a Mentor One aspect Bill Bowerman couldn't rein in was his voracious eating. Positioned at a dinner table behind the equally unconventional Barbara Young during a high school football event, Bill would accept a serving of ribs and baked potatoes from a server, balance a plate on each knee, and then flash an inviting grin at another waitress. Bill would devour his triple servings, then silently extend his hand to Barbara, admitting to his dance partner he had already eaten at home prior to the party. Bill and Barbara's relationship was a roller coaster of highs and lows, but once they found stability, they became inseparable. Despite Bill's enthusiasm, Medford High's football coach, Prince Callison, dismissed him twice for being underweight, leaving Bill to continue with the school band as a clarinet player. However, things changed when Bill twice tackled a former Medford footballer in one day, who had refused to return his tennis balls. On learning that Bill had confronted his previous player, Coach Callison let Bill join the football team. Bill helped Medford High secure the Oregon State Championships in 1927 and 1928, and even bagged a basketball title. Bill Bowerman's impressive achievements led to him being recognized as an All-American, an honor bestowed upon exceptional amateur athletes. At the University of Oregon, esteemed track and field coach Bill Hayward offered to assist Bowerman with his running to boost his football speed. Due to the football coach's ban on his players trying out track and field, Bill didn't participate in races. Haywood became a trusted guide from whom Bowerman gleaned knowledge about injuries, prosthetics, strategies, and the high-stakes drama both believed was integral to nurturing world-class athletes. Bowerman's diverse education encompassed subjects like business, journalism, public speaking, and pre-med, eventually graduating with a major in physical education. After graduation, Bowerman taught history and coached football at Medford High. His football record at Medford remains impressive with 59 victories, 13 losses, and eight ties over nine years. It was here that he initiated his track and field coaching career, leading Medford to field a running team for the first time in 15 years. That team went on to secure three state championships. Bowerman was a meticulous planner, leaving nothing to chance. He would transport Medford water to crucial away games. On one such away game, when Medford quarterback Bob Newland violated curfew, he stealthily entered his room to discover Bill Bowerman awaiting him in his bed. While driving home one Sunday, Bill and Barbara heard the news of Japan bombing Pearl Harbor. Without hesitation, Bill Bowerman made a U-turn and headed straight for the nearest military base where he enlisted. Part 3. Bowerman's Wartime Ventures As a child, Bowerman had received a scar from playing a knife game, Mumblety Peg. The military perceived this as a considerable injury, 
and relegated him to menial tasks. However, fortune smiled on Bowerman when an opportunity arose that demanded two of his unique skills. He found his calling in the 10th Mountain Division, serving as a skier and mule handler. During a training camp, Bowerman innovated ways to guide mules through shortcuts, streamlining the supply chain for soldiers. His performance led to his promotion to the rank of captain, and later major before his deployment to the Italian Alps in 1944. Although officers were prohibited from driving, when Bowerman discovered the injured Ralph Lafferty, he flagged down a jeep and insisted the driver help him load Ralph onto the vehicle. With grit, Bowerman navigated the bumpy roads until they reached a safe haven where surgeons could attend to Ralph. Thanks to Bowerman's quick thinking, Ralph Lafferty survived. Bowerman's bravery saw him climb the ranks from supply officer to commander of the 86th 1st Battalion. During a reconnaissance mission, an enemy strike sent their vehicle hurling into a ditch. Undaunted, Bowerman rallied his men, and they sprinted back to warn their comrades. Convincing a tank driver to return to the spot of their ambush, they opened fire on the building. The German soldiers fled, leaving behind an American colonel who recommended Bowerman for a silver star. When Bowerman learned of German soldiers in a nearby barracks, contemplating surrender, he took initiative. With a translator and a few of his men, Bowerman faced a Nazi checkpoint, insisting the lieutenant in charge to contact his general. This led to an unexpected meeting with the general stationed at Castrotoblino. With his signature cool-headed confidence, Bowerman faced the Nazi general, announcing the end was near. To avoid unnecessary bloodshed, he proposed the Germans surrender by 10 a.m. the following day. Remarkably, 4,000 German soldiers surrendered the next day. During the wait, Bowerman's men bartered cigarettes for Lugers, German pistols. Bowerman saved a pair of Lugers as mementos for his friends back home. As the war ended, Bowerman found a unique way to atone for his past actions. He purposely misplaced some of his mules, which fell into the hands of Italian peasants. When questioned about the missing mules, Bowerman simply shrugged and claimed they had disappeared. Bowerman, who had been deeply involved in the violent theatre of war, wasted no time dwelling on the past. As soon as he returned to America, he resumed his teaching career, ignoring repeated summons to Texas, where his regiment was to be disbanded, he continued his life until two military policemen arrived to arrest him. Unfazed, Bowerman gave them a vivid account of his wartime contributions and dared them to proceed with his arrest. Recognizing his services, the army allowed Bowerman to undergo his discharge in Colorado. Part 4. Forging an Athletic Legacy when Bill Bowerman took on the role of head coach at the University of Oregon in 1948, the track and field program had a meager two full scholarships to offer. Fiercely determined, Bowerman campaigned until this number increased to 10, but his ambition to expand his team didn't stop there. Bowerman pitched to local mill owners to hire his athletes, which provided them with the means to fund their education and build resilience. He kept an eye on his athletes' work commitment by posting the job roster on his office wall. He also took on the task of expanding his own understanding of the sport. At that time, European nations were the powerhouse of track and field, 
and Bauman meticulously examined their techniques. He took inspiration from Finnish runners who utilized interval training, a method that emphasized the importance of rest and recovery alongside intensive running. Bauman aimed to find the perfect balance between exertion and relaxation for each individual athlete, crafting personalized workout regimes for optimum physical and mental development. Once an athlete's ideal workout regime was established, deviation from Bauman's prescribed plan wasn't tolerated. The results of this disciplined approach were transformative. Bauerman urged his runners to employ strategic thinking, effectively manage their energy, and finish their races with power and endurance. In 1954, British runner Roger Bannister made history by running the world's first four-minute mile. Not too long afterward, Bauerman's training methods had runners in Eugene, Oregon, routinely achieving the four-minute mile. This attracted both local and international athletes to the University of Oregon and drew crowds to their renowned Haywood Field Stadium. Under Bauerman's stewardship, Eugene became a favorite venue for American Olympic trials. Bauerman had a knack for persuading and occasionally shaming local businessmen into sponsoring athletic events. His commitment to making the sport accessible included making tickets affordable for children and low-income families. He also advocated for the integration of male and female events in the Olympic trials. Bauerman trained a remarkable 31 Olympians, who collectively won eight gold medals. One of his athletes, Otis Davis, won two golds at the 1960 Rome Olympics. At home, Bauerman won 22 NCAA championships, but made arguably a more significant impact off the track supporting the rights and welfare of amateur athletes who, at the time, were prohibited from profiting from their efforts. Despite his firm demeanor, Bauerman had a notorious, playful side. He would pull pranks on his athletes to test their mettle and even surprise them in the bathroom. After assessing an athlete's tenacity and character, Bauerman would, with a carefully concealed scorching key and swift maneuver, brand the unsuspecting athlete's thigh. This left them with more than a physical mark, for they had earned their place as one of Bauerman's men of Oregon. Part 5. Challenging Times in Munich Bill Bauerman was selected to coach the U.S. Olympic team for the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany. His first concern upon arrival was the lax security at the hotel, a complaint that wasn't well received by the International Olympic Committee, IOC, and the West German government, both eager to project a warm and welcoming image in the post-World War II era. Tragically, Bauerman's security concerns were not unfounded. On September 5, 1972, a terrifying incident unfolded as eight members of the Palestinian Liberation Movement, Black September, infiltrated the Israeli quarters of the Olympic village and held the team hostage. The horrific ordeal ended with the loss of 12 lives. Bauerman received word of the attack when an Israeli athlete seeking refuge knocked on his door. Reacting swiftly, he contacted the American consul in Berlin and immediately arranged for his team's hotel to be secured. There were tensions within his own team as well. Black athletes called for a boycott if the IOC allowed apartheid Rhodesia to participate in the Olympics. Succumbing to the pressure, the IOC expelled Rhodesia from the Games. Regardless of his disdain for the IOC, 
Bowerman demonstrated compassion and empathy towards his athletes. He spent his time consoling them, hearing their arguments for and against, continuing to compete in the games, and reassuring them that their emotions, whichever way they leaned, were entirely justified. In Bowerman's perspective, the Olympic spirit represented humanity's antidote to war. He firmly believed in the transformative power of sports to unite and heal, especially in times of adversity. Part 6. A journey from cobbling to creating Nike Bill Bowerman's pursuit to enhance athletes' performance led him down an intriguing path, shoemaking. Constantly noticing his athletes' struggle with their running shoes, he decided to take matters into his own hands. His quest began with a visit to a shoe shop. Intrigued by the craft, he learned about cobbling, soon mastering the art of moulding his own shoes around custom shoe lasts. Otis Davis and Kenny Moore became willing guinea pigs, getting custom-made shoes based on their foot measurements. While some of these experimental footwear designs were successful, others inadvertently injured his runners. Still, Bowerman persisted. His relentless tinkering led to a breakthrough moment involving his wife, Barbara's waffle iron. Pouring liquid urethane into the hot griddle created a unique texture, which ultimately inspired the iconic waffle line of Nike shoes. During this innovative journey, Phil Knight, one of Bowerman's former athletes, entered the picture. Knight had a business idea, to compete with Adidas by offering cheaper trainers to athletes and non-athletes alike. To put this plan into action, he traveled to Japan, negotiated a distribution deal with Japanese shoemaker Onitsuka for their Tiger brand, and brought the concept back home. Bowerman invested $500 into Knight's Venture, a partnership that eventually became Blue Ribbon Sports. Never one to compromise on quality, Bowerman started refining the design for the Japanese shoemakers, always on the quest for improvement. However, trouble loomed on the horizon as Onitsuka sought other distributors in the U.S., jeopardizing Blue Ribbon Sports' existence. Determined to save their company, Knight flew back to Japan and found different manufacturers to collaborate with. It was during this trip that they conceived the idea of launching their own shoe company. Nike, named after the Greek goddess of victory, was born with plans to start manufacturing in the U.S. Onitsuka tried to sue, but the verdict was in Nike's favor. Now Bowerman's designs were to be made in his own backyard, under the banner of the men of Oregon. Nike went public in 1980, skyrocketing to become one of the world's most recognized sporting brands. With the newfound wealth, Bowerman contributed generously to causes he believed in, scholarships, buildings at the University of Oregon, and the Steve Prefontaine Foundation to honor the memory of his former runner. Part 7. Sparking the Jogging Movement Bill Bowerman was a man who constantly sought knowledge from the coaches he admired. One such interaction led him to participate in matches against some of the top teams overseas. However, it was a seemingly mundane Sunday outing in the countryside with New Zealand's head coach, Arthur Lydiard, that changed his perspective on running. Bowerman was astonished to see people of all ages and fitness levels out jogging. Intrigued, he listened as Lydiard explained the wide-ranging benefits of jogging for the average person. He also shared a simple yet powerful piece of advice. The best workout is one where you can run and still maintain a conversation.
Initially, Bowerman found jogging challenging, but he kept at it for six weeks while in New Zealand. Upon returning home, his wife Barbara remarked that he looked a decade younger. Capitalizing on his newfound enthusiasm for jogging, Bowerman got a local newspaper to publish an article about it, encouraging everyone to assemble at the University of Oregon's Hayward Field for a mass jogging session. The response was overwhelming. What started with 50 joggers soon swelled to over 2,000 individuals. Concerned for their safety, Bowerman disbanded the event and gathered a team of researchers, doctors, and coaches to formulate jogging guidelines specific to different ages and weights. Much to his satisfaction, Bowerman discovered that people at varying fitness levels needed different exercise doses, just like his athletes, but they all reaped the universal benefits of weight loss and increased alertness. Unlike competitive athletes, however, Bowerman encouraged these everyday runners to prioritize enjoyment over competition. The resulting insights were published in a book aptly titled Jogging. With Barbara's insistence, The book included specific tips for women, making it more inclusive. The book was a massive success, selling one million copies and igniting the jogging revolution. It was clear, jogging had moved beyond the racetracks and had become a sport for everyone. Final Summary Bill Bowerman left an indelible mark on the world as an educator, a coach, an Olympian, a World War II veteran, the co-founder of Nike, and most notably, the man who popularized jogging. Bowerman's remarkable life journey came to an end in 1999, in his fossil home at the age of 88. Perhaps one of the most poignant tributes to his legacy was a moment that occurred during Nike's annual sales meeting in 1979, a heartwarming montage showcasing significant moments from his life was played to the soundtrack of My Way. It was a scene that left the entire room in tears. All the men of Oregon were visibly moved. Even for those who had known him as their tough and uncompromising coach, it was a surprise to witness their mule skinner shedding tears too. This heartfelt testament to Bowerman's impact beautifully encapsulated the essence of his life, lived truly his way. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then. Happy reading and happy listening.